Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast. Welcome to 2022. Another year is upon us. Let's get together and let's make some good things happen this year. Right off the bat, folks, we all know what needs to be done. Let's do it. Let's fight for this country and this planet. Okay. It's under attack. We've been asleep at the wheel for many years. You know, we've been mad, but we haven't been like effective in the way that I think we need to be. And, uh, you know, there's more of us than there are of them, as they say. So let's, let's, you know, set our intentions on this new year and coming together, staying positive and doing the right thing. So I hope you all had a nice holiday. It was a strange holiday. You know, there was a lot of sadness and loss in it on the public level with, with folks like Betty White. And on the personal level, there's a wonderful person in the, uh, in the entertainment business named Lisa Roy. She has a decades, decades long career. You've worked on the Grammys and all kinds of things in the music industry. She was just one of the brightest lights. If you're lucky enough to work behind the scenes, she worked in publicity and, you know, was just a mentor to many, including myself. And I had the pleasure of working with Lisa Roy for these past six months and some of the projects I'm trying to do. She was a big part of this podcast. She was the reason we had that special episode last week with Leland Sklar. So if you didn't listen to that, please do. It, it was a passion project of Lisa's to have Leland come on the show. And it was only through her grace that, you know, a legend like that would come on and do this. And she worked with Lee and the immediate family band. And um, she she passed away on Friday, suddenly and sadly. So, you know, for, for my sort of management family, that's a big loss. And uh, I'd like to dedicate the rest of these episodes this year to, to Lisa's memory. And, you know, she was very kind to me. She was very encouraging of, of what she saw as the message in a lot of what I'm trying to do. And, you know, it was way above in stature of somebody who, who would be working, helping to get the word out on the likes of somebody like me, but she did it anyway, because she believed in it. And we need people like that in this world, you know, people that understand the value of arts and want to help get the good stuff out there. And I'm not saying that I'm the good stuff, but I'm saying she cared about what she did. And it, she was a class act. She had that old Hollywood glamour and uh, she'll just be sorely missed. I'm still in a bit of state of shock, but I just wanted to start the episode to uh, send my prayers and, and, and blessings to all those who, who knew Lisa Roy and were lucky enough to have worked alongside her. So peace out and, uh, you know, tough way to, to, to start the year. You know, my family, some tough things were, were happening this week with my grandparents. You know, it was just a tough holiday all around. It was almost like the holiday that wasn't. But, uh, you know, we got through it and we're back in the new year and it's time to get back to work. What did Jimmy do? What did St. Nicholas bring you out there in Indiana? <laughs> uh, I pretty, you know, all my concert T-shirts, I pretty much bought everything that I could possibly want as a gift. So I pretty much had those bought. And then I, I enjoyed a lot of good food, you know, uh, anymore, baked goods and just being with people that I love. That's that's what's important to me than material items. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's the gift, Jimmy. You know, yeah. I got to go up to Boston right before and I did a show on the 23rd right before New yeah. Year's Eve. And it was a it was a trip, you know, and a lot of people came out. I know it was sketchy, so I don't blame anybody <laughs> for not coming. I applaud you, you know, always stay safe and err on the side of caution. But, you know, it was a show that was sort of on the books that I had to do. And it ended up, you know, it was a privilege to do. But I mean, it wasn't like something I had the ability to cancel. So we did it and it was good and it was a lot of fun and it was an intimate. I did a, a, a long set. It was like an hour and 15 or something. And uh, I got to meet your aunt, Coria. Right. Yes. Uh huh. Absolutely. Proud uh -huh. night for them, man, to, to get to meet you in Boston. They were really happy to be there. They were a trip, man. They came and bought some <laughs> t-shirts. She bought three t-shirts, you know? Yeah. Helped put uh, some food on the table for Christmas. <laughs> and and just, uh, yeah, that, that's Chooch's sister, by the way, my, my okay. dad's sister. So um, she was saying a lot of fans of the show were talking to her about Chooch, you know? So it was weird to hear her brother's story from somebody else completely remote from Indy. So very yeah. cool. Well, that's how it works. You know, things live on art lives on spirit, you know, the things that have the spirit. And that's what I try to create in these shows. You know, she seemed to have a good time. And uh, that's awesome. You know, it was good. Everybody had a good time. 
somebody had, you know, I don't even want to get into it. Somebody had like some kind of a medical condition in the front row. And as I ended the set, the fire department came down the aisle, which is what happened in Norwalk at my last show. So, you know, that's how hot a comic I am, Jimmy, that the fire department shows up when I, when I say good night, but, uh, you know, it was good. And it was good to be in Boston. It's a great town. It was brutally cold. I mean, just cold like you only get in boston you know that just coming right off the atlantic that wind whips right across boston common and hits you in the face like a you know like a drunk irishman from southie you know just headbutts you the cold just headbutts you but the town's got a lot of spirit and a lot of heart and personality obviously and i love places like that and we stopped in the north end and got some like italian subs and then ate them, you know, in salads and stuff and ate them in uh, our hotel room in Vermont, where I went up to spend the Christmas weekend up there in Stowe, which is a bucolic ski town and uh, did a little playing in the snow. There isn't much snow because of climate change. You know, it's all screwed <laughs> up. It was like raining. You know, that's what it's been on the East Coast for two weeks. It's been this foggy rain every day. It's like we basically have the weather of Scotland now in the Northeast. <laughs> And uh, as I'm sure you watched, you know, and many of us watched Don't Look Up was a brilliant comedy satire on climate change. And, you know, my uncle is works. I keep him out of this podcast, but he works at the Environmental Defense Fund. And he was a very prominent journalist and has written a lot about the environment. He wrote a book called The Climate Wars a few years ago. And uh, he had written a paper 10 years ago, like if there was a meteor that was like coming towards, you know, to destroy the earth, maybe you could get people to take it seriously, you know, so it's just such a great premise for destruction and sort of what happens, you know, how the corporate entities that exist in this country just like sort of go into like, oh, well, we got to make it light mode, you know, and that's what we're seeing now, right? You know, we had somebody a year ago attack the Capitol, you know, send his mob up to the Capitol to destroy the place because he didn't like the fact that he lost an election and was going to face criminal trials if he had to leave office. So he was willing to do whatever he had to do to stay out of trouble. You know, and he, he had this well-organized thing, right? He had Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick and all these like guys that had basically been mobster consigliaries for most of their careers. Bernie Carrot couldn't be more disgraced. He was the NYPD commissioner who spent 9-11 funds on a private apartment so he could sleep with his mistress, <laughs> you know, while his police officers were working on a pit looking for victims' body parts. He was like, you know, having sex like in, a, in, a, in an apartment that was meant for them to like have a break from the hell that they were working on. You know, and that's just the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of guy that's often held power in New York City. You know, that's what Giuliani was. That's what Trump was. Is this a quid pro quo involved in politics and power? And, and a lot of that is coming to light now. And that's what we need to focus on. And we need to focus on the corporate interests that prevent the truth because they want to keep it light. And in 2015, when Trump was running, there was a lot of reasons to jump in there and dig into his past and dig into the sexual assaults and, the, you know, the lengthy, you know, he had been on he had been in 4000 lawsuits before he ran for president right and you barely heard that mentioned on CNN right because CNN is run by Jeff Zucker who was also signed off on the apprentice when he was president of entertainment at NBC Universal you know it's a boys club so hey let's keep it light let's talk more about how he insulted Megan Kelly than how he attacked somebody in Bergdorf Goodman 15 years ago you know so that's you know it was part of like hey let's not get too deep here we're making money off of the surface level events. And when you do that, you don't educate people. You feed them popcorn and fast food, you know, and Twizzlers and stuff instead of like nutritious meals in terms of information. So we're a malnourished nation when it comes to like realist thoughts about what we're facing. And, and, and I'm getting to the point here. And that has to do with climate change. And that movie showed that in a brilliant way and it was also incredibly funny i won't give away any of the spoilers but there were some one-liners from jonah hill that had me on the floor and adam mckay is my favorite filmmaker war dogs as you know is my favorite movie of the last 10 years i think it's yeah. brilliant but um you know that's where we're at and look what happened you know on new year's eve the night before new year's eve boulder had a wildfire and a thousand people lost their homes in december <laughs> i lived in colorado jimmy like 
you, you didn't have wildfires in December. You had snowstorms, <laughs> you know, like boulders, like right by the front range. It's the beginning of the Rocky Mountains. It's not where you should be having like wind driven fires in December, but there we are. And here we are, and we're all in this together and we can watch bowl games with 70,000 people in a stadium, <laughs> not wearing masks and think it's all fun and life is going to be normal, but it's not going to be normal. Schools are going to open up this week. This thing's going to spread like a wildfire, you know, amongst school children. And we're going to be in trouble because the teachers are all going to get exposed. They're going to go home sick. Nurses are already going home sick. The CDC already caved you know, the corporate mm -hmm. interests at airlines. It was insane, Jimmy, that we were allowing people to get on airplanes for the last year without being <laughs> vaccinated. Like, what are you doing? One right. guy tried to light his shoe on fire 20 years ago and everybody's had to take their shoes off for 20 years and nobody bitched about it. People's right. grandmas were getting cavity searches, you know, going through TSA checkpoints and nobody bitched about it. And that was security theater, right? That wasn't even actually doing anything to make us safer. It was just theater to make you feel safer. That's right. a real concept, security theater. It was like, you know, because you could you could get through TSA and go buy a glass beer bottle. Guardian, <laughs> right. So right. they're, they're going to take my nail clipper, but then I can buy a bottle of Heineken and bring it on the airplane. <laughs> You know, I could do some damage with a broken beer bottle, you know, so yeah. it was theater. It was designed to make you feel better. And now we don't even do anything to make you feel better. Right. We're now it's just like, yeah, get on with it. Maybe wear a mask <laughs> or something, you know, like, no. So it, it's insane. And we're going to get into that big in a minute. But what do you think, Jimmy? Well, I, it brings me back to the last vacation I took uh, was in Florida and I got pulled to the side by TSA as somebody with a disability, you know, and they had me take off my braces, take oh, off my shoes, no, take off my belt. No, the whole, the whole thing. Are yeah. you serious? I had said I had um, staples in my ankles because I always say that before I go through a metal detector in the event that it goes off. And there's pieces of metal in my braces just to hold the joints, you know, the joists together. And I said, I understand it, this is for safety, but this is ridiculous. You know, and they did, they did it in front of my mom too. You know, so she's watching this as I have to take off my shoes and I'm a white guy from Indiana, you know, like, I, do I really look like a threat to you? You know, well, let me just jump yeah. in there. White guys from Indiana <laughs> yeah. look very much like a threat to me. They are days. now probably. Yeah. White guys from yeah. Indiana is exactly who you need to be worried about, you know, <laughs> but the yeah. racial profiling of the moment was obviously Muslim terrorists, you know, right. and say what you want about that. And that was a threat. And it, it, it had horrible repercussions on the Muslim American community and Muslims around the world because they're not enemies. Islam is a, is a religion of peace that was co-opted by men who were picking on disenfranchised other young toxic males and getting them to do their bidding, right? Sound yeah. familiar? But, mm -hmm. you know, that being said, there is a place in policing for racial profiling or some kind of profiling in terms of a threat. And if I see somebody who clearly has a disability coming through, you know, a, a metal yeah. detector with his mom, like, what did you have in your braces? You know, <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Your leg braces and, and how uncomfortable and, and I would imagine somewhat humiliating it sort of feels to kind of hold up Take several on. minutes to right. put to put them on and off. I had to tie my shoes. It's not easy for me to tie my shoes. I did it. And I and I was saying under my breath, you know, thanks, Bin Laden, the joke from Hangover or whatever. Yeah. But like it's um, as far as like security theater, what you were talking, that was security theater. Exactly. It was to go. It was going through the motions to make me feel like I'm being <laughs> targeted as a as a suspect you know so no and they would do it just to give you a hard time you could tell when tsa people were just i had a lady look through my wallet one time like looking through all the credit cards and everything like she was looking for a bindle because if you did coke or something you would carry it in your wallet back in the day i've heard allegedly but uh you know it was like what are you gonna find in my wallet like there's no weapon in there she was just hoping like you know i looked like a rocker guy you know she was just hoping to like bust me on something and that would happen all the time 
when I worked, when I flew back from the Super Bowl, speaking of football, they have all this pyrotechnics, obviously, right? And you get exposed to like the glycerin or whatever is in that stuff. And it just gets all on your clothes and your shoes and everything. So you would set off those little swab detectors. Mm. You know what I mean? So every year I came back from the Super Bowl, I could always plan on 10 minutes off to the side, having everything looked through because I, you know, it's, you know, and that's fun. You, you get a trace of explosive on my stuff. No problem. You know, I'm the guy you should be taking aside. Right. But the kid in leg braces who's off to a vacation. Right. You know, and, and it's just silly. But so that being said, you were willing to go through that. TSA was willing to put you through that. But now you're not willing to check somebody's vaccination status to board a <laughs> plane where you're going to get in a metal tube and, and breathe common air for five or six hours. Insane, you know, and, and it's not freedom. It's just stupidity. And, and this is what we have now. We have Omicron thanks to these guys. You know, Boston might have been my last show for a while. I'm supposed to do a show in New York City at the end of January. How's that going to happen? You know, how am I going to ask people to come out? Like everybody I know has Omicron right now. Mm -hmm. Literally, Jimmy, everyone I know has it. Okay. Mm -hmm. It may take a while to get to the Midwest and stuff, but it's all over the East Coast. So <laughs> the fact that folks were flying around, were going to Florida on vacation. Florida is like, Florida should be like a no-fly zone. You know, they, Florida should be like surrounded. Okay. I've never seen anything in my life as despicable as that governor, you know, speaking Where of Where is Florida, he? Right. Well, he showed <laughs> yeah. up, you know, he showed his final, he was obviously on an Island or something, you know, he yeah. was obviously on a nice vacation or battling COVID, you know, who knows he was in a <laughs> private hospital, like battling COVID or on a vacation. And of course they used his, his wife, as an excuse, she's battling cancer and all you mean liberals are just, you know, being mean. and he was just doing the right thing, which I knew they were going to use for an excuse. And then he shows up with his wife unmasked at a religious church that has thousands of people, you know, that's an anti-mask or freedom church and accepts an award, right? So she's immunocompromised. She's showing up without a mask in a crowd of people in Florida that are screaming and sending their spittle up onto the stage. Like, I don't think so but he'll get away with it. You know, that guy's job was to torture people. He was literally the Navy JAG lawyer in Gitmo who would tell him how to not like run afoul of the Geneva Convention. He did the same thing in Fallujah during the Trump surge. His job was literally like to advise the Delta Force commander, like how they could not be skirting like laws when they were getting information from insurgents. So he was the guy when they'd go into these villages and just start grabbing men and bringing them to these black sites with hoods over their heads and torturing them at the height of the Iraq war. Like, so the guy, you know, and he's Yale educated, you know, Navy JAG schools in Newport, Rhode Island. Like you couldn't get a more elitist education from the guy. And now he's like making his bones off the Mountain Dew crowd in Florida, you know, and old racists that moved to the villages you know and got to talk like they want to talk which was a funny thing and don't look up when they had that old commander guy oh i don't want to ruin it for the listeners okay. but you know i'm talking about the guy from sons of Anna. i haven't seen it yet but i I'm, it's on my list you haven't uh, seen it i have not rather i'm ready to uh, I, but i haven't had a chance to yet you're not so. prepared for this episode. We were going to talk <laughs> about like films because that's what I did is watched a lot of Netflix. Have you I did watch The Alpinist, which you recommended. Now, <laughs> oh, dude, I can't even climb stairs. That made me want to pass out. What are you What are you doing? Brother? I know, buddy. It was a good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But like I said, I don't even like going upstairs. That made me panic. You know, it Just made everybody it. panic. <laughs> You're having like a heart attack the whole time watching it. It was insane what that guy was doing solo climbing on these massive faces with no ropes dude all by himself with one little hand gripping onto a piece of ice <laughs> rock it was insane you can't stop and have a cigarette or a snack or anything you know when he slept when he bivouacked on the side of a mountain can you imagine going to sleep with nothing hot to eat just like a cold power bar and sleeping on the side of a mountain <laughs> for a couple hours and then getting up and climbing another few thousand feet in the morning yeah. In yeah. wet clothes, like his sleeping bag didn't even have stuffing in it. And some of the shots look like it was a separate person. And I told you, if there was a guy that had to go with him to document this thing, pay that dude every dime. You know, right. I don't know how they got some of the shots because it looked like they were from above him. 
Yeah. You know? Well, you know, he was he will he was willingly like he recreated some of the shots with the filmmaker, and that guy probably I don't think had a drone at that level, but a helicopter. <laughs> you know, they probably had something to get those shots. But you know, it's amazing, and I would highly recommend it. I won't I won't spoil the ending, but uh, <laughs> God dang, you know, I've seen some stuff I ain't ever seen anything like that. You know, and, and all the other top climbers were like, "Oh my God." But it's a metaphor, you know, because the guy wasn't motivated by money. He didn't get motivated by fame. You know, <laughs> he didn't care. He was just doing it because something in his soul wanted to do it because it quieted the chatter in his mind. You know, he obviously had ADD and all these kind of issues and was just like, I'm at peace if I'm deeply in the moment, you know, and that's a theme in a lot of my work, so to speak. My stand up set is about like when I worked for Springsteen at the garden, he did these 10 shows that were filmed by Jonathan Demi. And it was the end of the reunion tour when he got the E street band back together. So they came into the garden in like 2000 and did 10 shows in July. And it was like amazing, you know, cause this band had been dormant for a while and they were just back in their prime. And every night at a certain point during the concert, I would get this feeling like, Oh, he's going to quit tonight. Like he's going to come backstage and be like, Hey guys, sorry, I'm not doing this anymore. That was the last concert because there would be a moment every night where I'd be like, he can't possibly give more than this. <laughs> like no human can mm -hmm. muster more sort of energy and focus and just pure. I'm rocking out. Like I'm never going to do this again. Right. And I would get this weird feeling every night. And then every night, He'd finish the concert and come back the next day and do another one. He was like a magic trick. And I was like, what is he doing? How does he make me feel <laughs> like he's playing the last concert he's ever going to play? You know, how does he recreate this? And it wasn't like inauthentic. You know, it was so real that you would subconsciously get tricked in this way almost, you know, and then I, I studied it. You know, I would sit there by Danny Federici's organ you know, on stage right, I would just go hide behind the amp cases and sort of watch for clues. And it was finally like, it was presence, you know, it was like him being a rock climber, you know, you don't have time for anything else on stage. If you're really in the moment, like when I went to drama school, you would train to be in the moment. I studied Sanford Meisner, which is moment to moment, like reality. When you're talking to me as a fellow actor, I don't want to be thinking, oh, my line's coming up next and I'm going to say it like this. You know, you sort of really want to be listening and present because that's how you recreate truth. And that's what Springsteen was doing. Like he sang Thunder Road 3000 times by, by 2000, you know, at least. But like, he was singing it every night like it was the first time because he knew somebody in the audience might be the first time they're hearing it. And he just sort of willed himself into that level of concentration and presence. And, and it's palpable when you can achieve something like that. And that's what that kid was doing, you know, in that movie. We're, we're, our internet connection is bad, so I apologize if people are getting a uh, crackle yeah. sound. But um. That movie was a great metaphor for that. You can you can achieve insurmountable things if you sort of stay present and and true to yourself. They might not always end well, but at least you you know you gave it your all, and and that's what we're here for, right? We're here to sort of live our dreams and reach our potential, and reach new heights. And we have a giant ice face in front of us to climb. You know, we have an insurmountable situation with climate change. You know, forget about democracy being under attack, you know, and, and that's going to work out for the best. Ultimately, it's ugly. This is going to be a tough year ahead. But I think ultimately justice is going to prevail. It sort of always does in this country. It's going to take a while and it's going to take a couple of generations to wash out the hate that Trump is sort of like saturated through a big swaths of American life. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. become a lifestyle brand for many Americans to be hateful as we saw on Christmas Eve, right? A guy said, let's go Brandon. Mm. I was calling his kid. That's the kind of thing your grandchildren would hear about back in the day. You know, if, if Kennedy or somebody called your family, if you were the chosen, you know, lucky ones that got this Christmas call and this guy uses it as a platform for hate. And now he's considering running for office because it's a grifting machine and they know like, hey, I get a certain bit of, bit of visibility. I could be the next Madison Cawthorn or something, you know? So 
you know, that's where we're at. And that's going to be generational because <laughs> kids are getting raised in that, you know, and kids are seeing Kyle Rittenhouse turn into a rock star for killing some people. So they'll be lining up to do stuff like that. And it'll take a while. It, this is not going to be the prettiest place to live for the next decade or so, but ultimately we will prevail. The climate, we may not prevail. You know, we may all perish a fiery death or drown in a flood. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, that's <laughs> like, that's bearing down on you. There's no time to hit the pause button on that one. And it becomes a question of what do we want to do about it? And as I always tell people, I said in my car rant this week, the reason Fox News backed by the Koch brothers and the reason people like Joe Manchin, who killed the Build Back Better deal right before the holidays, the reason they're doing this, you know, the reason they tweet don't wear a mask, the reason Marco Rubio on New Year's Day tweeted about like, oh, it's just a sore throat. Why is everybody, <laughs> you know, screw you, buddy. Go tell that to my grandma, who I haven't seen in two years, you know, and now I may not see while she's still alive because of this mm. thing. And I was planning on seeing them on my way home and I can't because there's yet another variant, you know, and two years when you're 80 something years old is a long time, right? So tell that to those people, Marco. But the reason they're saying that is they want this do not comply attitude because when they have to ask people to really make sacrifices, right? Because wearing a mask in a Walmart is not a sacrifice. It's a minor inconvenience that you get used to real quick. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when they yeah. ask those same idiots to stop driving a pickup truck that gets 15 miles to the gallon and is 40 feet off the air with giant tires, <laughs> but, you know, as you're rolling down the highway to go to Chick-fil-A, you know, and get some fried fat to feed your fat family, like no offense <laughs> to fat family. <laughs> I know there's a lot of them in this country, including you put on a few pounds, but you get my idea. You know, you, you're driving this thing to buy a product that's already destroying this planet, right? You're mm -hmm. going to have to ask people to not do that. You're going to have to ask people to give up those steaks and those cheeseburgers because raising cattle is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. We don't have enough land to graze all those cows to get you a 99 cent hamburger. Like you're going to have to not use all that fuel and all this stuff. And that's real. That has to be done now. And that's what Joe Manchin objected to, right? That those were the provisions that were really the deal breaker for him besides sort of providing healthcare and education for his populace. Cause he wants to be like the ruler of West Virginia. And he doesn't want those folks getting too <laughs> smart because they're going to realize he's playing them and has been for decades, you know? So you got to mm -hmm. keep them dumb and you got to keep them, you know, ignorant if you want the powers that be to continue to profit off of all this. So that's what that is when they say, don't comply, don't wear a mask. They're ginning people up for when the real stuff starts to happen. And you have a president who says, hey guys, we're gonna have to implement fuel standards. You can't sell a car unless it gets 40 miles a gallon and blah, blah, blah. We, we've started to do that, but there's obviously pushback. As I say all the time, like the amount of these giant pickups, it's just stupid. Did everybody become a rancher? Because there's no ranching in the Northeast. Okay. Uh, you know, as I say in my set, like you work in a bank in Parsippany, you know, the only ranch you've ever seen is on a plate of chicken wings, bro. What do you need that big thing for? To go to Walmart and buy a TV and put in the back of it? Like, what are you even using it for? Right. Not to mention like when this country was great for all that stuff, we didn't have trucks that big. Right back in the day, that's not what a pickup truck. You didn't need a ladder to get inside of it. You know, you mentioned the wildfires that happened this week in Colorado. I have some family that lives out in Fort Collins. They, they're doing okay. But like you said, the, December is not the time for that sort of thing. From an animal standpoint, you should look outside and think to yourself, eh, it shouldn't be happening. Like last week we mentioned in Indianapolis, it was in the mid-50s in December. Even the week that you were here for the Super Bowl and it was halfway decent, like it shouldn't be that way in December for this part of the country. Look, yeah. it was like 60 degrees yesterday. I went for a walk and there was flies flying around <laughs> outside, these little kind of like mayflies and stuff that shouldn't yeah. be out in December because they're mm -hmm. tricked. Nature has been tricked. They think winter's over and then they come out, you know, and tomorrow it's going to be 20 degrees, right? So it's also this whiplash of temperatures has just got to be hell you know, on any sentient being that has to live outside. Cause you're like, what's the deal? One day it's raining. The next day it's 20 degrees and snowing, you know? 
Yeah, it's kind of funny, yeah. but it's not funny because, you know, like bees and these kind of things come out too early. They don't survive. So it's crazy. It, it's wacky. And it, it should be the number one story. The number one story should be like it's 65, 70 degrees in Alaska during Christmas week. Stop what you're doing, <laughs> you know, stop the distractions and let's all get serious about this stuff. Here's a metaphor. You know, when I spoke out against Trump in 2015, I called up a lot of my colleagues that are in the Directors Guild and stuff. And, you know, they were like, look, no, I know we all saw this stuff, but I can't say anything because I'll never work again. And I got kids in college and I make 700 bucks a day. And like, I'm not willing to give that up for this idiot who probably won't win. And I said, fine, I understand that. Like, I'm going to speak out. I understand your position. But let me just say this. If this guy wins, you won't work again anyway. Because the guy we know will do such a bad job at managing this country that something is going to destroy it within four years. He's just a kind of guy who can't be in charge for that long of something that crucial and sensitive without screwing it up. And what happened in his third year in office? He had a viral pandemic that his first instinct was pretend like it didn't happen and just say, oh, there's only 50 cases. This is no big deal. Everyone go about your business. And it shut down the entire industry. For a year, there was no TV or television getting made. Then it came back to life and he further instigated his base into not wearing masks and getting vaccinated. So now we have variants. Variants are because of Joe Rogan, you know, and your football playing quarterback buddies who don't want to get vaccinated. Morons who say they have antibodies and they don't need to pay attention to science, right? Because like it's made to feel okay to be stupid. You know, and it's also couched in you're a rugged individualist. Don't be a sheep, be a real man. Real men don't comply. All this kind of like toxically masculine images and messages that they send to these susceptible dudes, dudes that are hanging out in Planet Fitness with their bros, comparing biceps <laughs> all day, you know, feeling like they might have some power over a world that they barely understand anymore because their cultural education was so woefully wrong for so many years because Reagan basically came in and said, we need to shut this shit down. We don't need Carter in here putting up solar panels and inviting Willie Nelson to the White House. We need Charlton Heston, you know, and like <laughs> dudes to say, buy a gun, be afraid and move to the suburbs and listen to what I say. So the Republicans could prosecute wars and make all kinds of money and move corporations, their manufacturing overseas and make a killing and destroy the very people they manipulated. And now it's come home to roost. Now it's all you have is disaffected Americans that don't know how they got in this boat because they were watching NASCAR and football for the last 40 years instead of paying attention and thinking Sesame Street was their enemy. Or Osama bin Laden, who was an enemy, but it was also worked for the goddamn CIA. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was our buddy when we were fighting Russia. And then a guy named Trump comes along who works for Russia, and they're willing to give it all up for this guy. You know, it's so stupid. Like most of these Americans don't even realize their traditional enemies have been turned against them. And they think they're still fighting the war. The Soviet Union fought a Cold War for decades against america why are you laughing jimmy is this funny i was chuckling it, it, with the internet connection i chuckled to something you said and it didn't catch up no no it's so all good no, I'm, just, I'm, just, no, no it's, it's all, <laughs> I'm not giving you a hard time i'm just saying like i don't think it's yeah. funny you know it's it's when you think about it it's some yeah. terrifying stuff you know because people don't understand mm -hmm. and it's still catched in this yeah. couched in this sort of terms like my grandpappy was a hero he fought for this country yeah, he was. He was a hero. Your dad who fought in Vietnam was fighting against the Red Scare. You know, you were fighting Ho Chi Minh because he was getting weapons from communist China and stuff. Right. It was all against we got to do it there or it's going to be on our doorstep. That was the bullshit they said in Nicaragua, you know, against the Sandinistas and stuff. You know, we were torturing people thinking it was in the best interest of the United States, because if we don't stop them here, next thing they're going to be. And then all of a sudden you let a freaking money launderer for Vladimir Putin have the White House and disparage and attack our intelligence agencies. And then you just hand him the keys to the kingdom and send him money every 10 minutes because he's texting you that he's broke while he's sitting in his private club with his hooker wife and his coke snorting kids having a New Year's party. While you're locked down, if you have any sort of sensibility, you're sitting at home on your couch. You're not out there partying. 
but he was. No. Mar-a-Lago, you know, DeSantis, who did nothing while his state now has four million COVID cases and s- over 60,000 deaths and did everything he could to help mm. that virus spread around that godforsaken state, <laughs> you know, like for years. <laughs> right. I know I'm harsh on Florida because yeah. it sucks. That's why, because Florida is a trashy place for trashy people <laughs> and then other <laughs> rich people that don't want to pay taxes and go down for the nice weather from New York and pretend like everything is OK. Florida disappoints me because you guys didn't stand up to this guy. You know, there's so many educated people from the East Coast that moved down there and like, eh, it is what it is. Weather's nice. Golfing's good. No, man. Stand up to this guy for future generations, if not for yourself. Do it for these kids that are growing up in Florida that aren't going to have a chance because they're getting exploited by a 42-year-old with a Yale Law degree and a Navy JAG career who won, by the way, by 30,000 votes. And then when they did the recount, it was only 8,000 votes. And Andrew Mm -hmm. Gillum was the guy who got busted in this hotel room smoking meth or something. That was his opponent, I believe. That was all Mm -hmm. hinky. All these elections, the Marjorie Taylor Greene, where she runs unopposed because QAnon chases her opponent out in the middle of the night. You know, Lindsey Graham in the last election wins a county that's predominantly like Native American that had never voted Republican before. And all of a sudden they vote for Lindsey Graham in this last election in the same state where you had a guy who literally got convicted for screwing with ballots, if you remember that one dude. So it's like, come on, when are we going to wake up? (laughs) Tucker Carlson just wrote the foreword for Roger Stone's book, and he's lauding them him stone in this book and he talks about how in 2000 he subverted democracy working on the mm. you know the bush gore recounts it's like they're not even pretending what they're doing anymore they're subverting democracy they're trying to overthrow elections democratic elections a- and people are cheering them on and we're coming up on the anniversary of that this week you know and trump is having a press conference in his private club <laughs> now, how is he not in jail how is he not in jail? It's just be it's beyond the pale. The reason I I laugh sometimes about the tragedy that that has happened in this country is like you I would cry. You know, you make fun of me, you know, for for uh, getting emotional about this country, but I I read about like the crack epidemic in the eighties, what happened under Reagan, like a lot of stuff that could have been prevented in America wasn't because the interests of corporate America and just keeping people in power and all of that was more important. We never realized the magnitude of the moment at any point really in America. 9-11 was really the only time that I can remember where we really had some unity, but it was a lot easier when our enemy had a darker skin color than us. It was easy for white America to identify with that. And it's just disappointing that you have to use racist tropes to get people to have any kind of unity. Like, at some point, you got to look at it and say, maybe we shouldn't be killing people and trying to extract resources from this planet. You know, that's another element of this. Capitalism is at the core of all this. And the way that we structure the way money's made has to do with climate change as well. So it's all interconnected. And everything that we've ever talked about is connected to other things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then look, I don't laugh at you. I don't make fun of you for crying, brother. That's why you're on the show, because you got yeah. an open heart and an open mind. Cry. That's real strength, dude. Yeah. I was just wondering if like it was funny so I could use yeah. it as a joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it doesn't no. sound funny. And I'm an inappropriate smiler. So I think you get some of that, too, like that I do, you know? Well, but- it's it's just like for me, I was born in 94. Right. A lot of this was already in motion before I was even here. So it's like, how is I, how am I going to stop it as a 27 year old, you know, and I'm just having to witness it. No, it was all over, you know, it was all set in stone, but basically by the time you, you, I mean, you were born in that sweet spot of the Clinton years, you know, where things were kind of going well, but Clinton had his hand in all this stuff too, you know, his, his, Right around 94, he signed this criminal justice bill that sent all these young black men to to prison and women. You know, it was completely unfair, completely racist. He's obviously apologized for it, but it's the thing that filled up all these prisons, you know, and that pipeline to prison kind of thing is all part of it. It, It's all this country is is basically been operated under the same rules since the beginning. It's why I tell people to read Howard Zinn. Read a people's history of the United States, you know, understand like after enslaved people, there was indentured servants, you know, it was these Irish people. There was always like getting somebody who was already here to look down on like the next person 
that was trying to get a leg up and not look at the wealthy landowners, you know, and industrial barons that were really keeping people down. And now instead of Andrew Carnegie, you got Jeff Bezos, you know, who's mm-hmm. posing in his little like ridiculous shirt with his <laughs> Botoxed wife, you know, like looking like Pitbull, looking like, you know, retirement home. It's worldwide. Exactly, dude. You know, like all the money in the world and just no sense, you know? And Pitbull is also an anti-vaxxer. Did you know that? I read that. Oh, uh, I got friends who dance for Pitbull. That's uh, disappointing. I I always enjoyed it. He called it a pandemic a few months ago. He did? Well, see, this is dumb people. That's what happens when you sit around smoking blunts on a private jet with your buddies. (laughs) You know, and one of your yeah. buddies like, yo, I heard on Joe Rogan last week, this thing's part of a conspiracy, you know, and your brain <laughs> wants to think that way. And there's a real danger in that, too, because there are some things that are actual conspiracies and you bring it up to people and they act like, oh, now you sound just like QAnon guys. Do you know what I'm saying? Because so many people don't even know the truth about somebody like Trump. And it was back to my original thing, like. The time to educate people on this guy was 2015 and 16, because it was clear the rest of the country didn't know the guy that we all knew in New York that would just know the guy was a scumbag. It was, you know, he was kept out of polite society forever because of who he was. He beat his first wife. He ripped her hair out like he was a horrific human being, you know, and it was quite obvious to anybody who spent more than five minutes in his presence, including network executives who kept him on the air for 12 years and paid him and his grifting kids millions of dollars to go on and pretend to be a billionaire, billionaire, when in reality he had bankrupted everything he ever touched. And was a terrible businessman, but it wasn't the point because the job was to launder the money and the money gets cleaned either way. So that's where we're at. But there is some good news. I don't want to get people too down. We got Marjorie Taylor Greene. Cloven hoof Twitter is a little lonely (laughs) this week, folks. Do you think they just wanted to like carry her through 2021? Why now of all Uh, times? She still has a congressional account. Yeah, you know, trying to switch it up. Right. And both of them had blue checks or whatever you call it, which drives me nuts. And it's not that I don't have one. They'll never give me one. But like when they give these guys that blue check right away, like a Madison Cawthorn, you know, who just joins in 2020 or 2019 when he announces a run and automatically gets a blue (laughs) check, that legitimizes these people in other people's minds. They're like, oh, this guy must be legit. He's got one of those checks. He's running for Congress. You know, he was a 25-year-old college dropout who lied about his accident, had a bad faith lawsuit, sexually assaulted women in his class to the point that 100 of his classmates wrote a letter saying this guy's terrible, right? There was nothing notable. There was no career achievements to this guy, but they'll instantly give him a blue check because they run for Congress, announce a run. And then it, it, it makes it a lot easier to fundraise. You know, it makes it look official. And it drives me nuts because they made it impossible to get them now if you're not in that world. You know, if I announced a run for Congress or I was selling Dogecoin or something, they give <laughs> me one right away, right? But you yeah. can have 350,000 followers and senators and all these people that follow me and retweet me and I'm nothing. I'm not saying it to brag on me, but they wouldn't even consider They don't even tell me if I apply for one. Usually they'd be like, sorry, you didn't meet our standards. They just automatic. No, (laughs) never. (laughs) Not that guy. And which is fine. But there's a power in giving these platforms away so freely, you know, and they obviously had a huge part in January 6th. It would not have happened if they had taken Trump's Twitter account Mm. away in 2012 when he was saying birther lies about the president of the United States. Right. But they, they, they let this stuff happen. And then when it gets too bad, they take it away. So, yeah, I guess we should be thankful for the small victories, you know, because she'll no longer have her private account to spew anti-COVID information. She'll just have the congressional account. And I guess that's where we'll post the videos of her pipe <laughs> bombs on January 5th outside the DNC, because that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't care what you say. You look at that arm swinging. That's her. The thing is, a lot of this QAnon stuff is mainstream. It's too late. Yeah, you took her off from causing any further damage, but a lot of what they're talking about is already in the ecosystem. And that that's partly, that's one of Trump's things, is to just get ahead of whatever's going to come out, right? Like what they did with A.G. Barr. You know, have him come out and say, there isn't any evidence in the Mueller report. Why do you need to look at it? Before the results were even released. Exactly. 
They yeah. just obfuscate the whole time. Barr shut it down, gave this press conference, you know, and right. said, yeah, it shows him completely exonerated six weeks before anybody else could see it. And then you read the document and it's so big and weighty, you're never going to get ahead of Trump already getting that narrative out there. And the mainstream media played into that big time. I remember <laughs> being in my car and Sirius XM saying like Barr's press conference is at one o'clock. And I remember tweeting at like 10 in the morning, like you think an old white man, you know, who's part of the system is going to tell you anything other than he's protecting this other old white man, you know, <laughs> cheated the system. Right. And people were like, that's racist. I remember people like unfollowing. <laughs> and what happened? That's what he said, what you just described. Uh-huh. And people ran with it. Ryan Zalilla, Chris Zalilla, whatever the hell his name is, the one that everyone's always mad at at CNN. You know, they were all like, Trump is exonerated. He wasn't exonerated at all. (laughs) You know, and and Merrick Garland is sitting on what Robert Mueller left him, which was like 10 cases of obstruction or something like this. You know, multiple counts of this is how you could go after this guy when he's no longer president. And Garland hasn't done a damn thing about it. And I know that like, you know, Atticus Finch Twitter, middle-aged white women have complete faith in the DOJ, right? And I know I'm, I know who my audience is, so I'm not like trying to be mean to you ladies, but the only people who ever defend Robert Mueller are middle-aged white ladies, you know, who have podcasts named after him and stuff, you know, like <laughs> the, the Mueller report was great if you were doing a podcast, you know, but if you're still kidding yourself that they're just taking their time and dotting their I's and crossing their T's, you're kidding yourself. Okay, (laughs) because time is not on your side. Ghislaine Maxwell got sentenced this week. Sentence the guys, you know, look into the dudes that were fundraising next door, you know, at number 11, East 71st, which is a townhouse owned by Howard Lutnick, who was the head of Cantor Fitzgerald, Mm -hmm. who when Epstein's original deal fell apart, which said he, he wouldn't have to name any names in the future basically that the case would always be sealed and none of the other men involved with him would ever be exposed, right? When Mm -hmm. that Alex Acosta engineered deal fell apart in March of 19, right? Immediately what happened was there was a fundraiser at Howard Lutnick's house next door to Jeffrey Epstein's townhouse, right? Which was number nine. They called up Steve Wynn, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, and a bunch of other scumbags, about 30 of them. And they had a fundraiser and raised, you know, millions of dollars. And my theory is they said, hey, guys, we know what happened next door. We know you guys were all there. Don't worry. We're going to take care of it. If Trump gets reelected, like we got Barr on the case, you know, Epstein's going to be free. So he's probably going to get popped again by SDNY. But we got a plan in place. But now's the time to pony up if you want to stay silent. And what happened? You know, then Epstein gets arrested in 4th of July and he's dead by August 10th, Mm. right? Case closed. And now you got one person going to jail for it, Ghislaine Maxwell, who should spend the rest of her life in jail. Make no mistake about that. But she's just a woman. Where are the guys? Where's Prince Andrew? You know, who Trump lied and said he didn't know. But when he took his first trip to London, he had a private breakfast with Prince Andrew. So like- the whole thing goes way deeper than anybody really wants to look at. David Polk well, lived down the street from Jeffrey Epstein, okay? <laughs> 740 Park Ave service entrance is between Park and Madison on 71st. Between Madison and 5th was Epstein's house. That's a very convenient neighborhood if you want to go to a high-class brothel. And a lot of people, and brothel makes it sound more like, legit than it was those were underage you know these were girls these were children that they were abusing and i know somebody who was in that house and her only he should be like no you wouldn't believe what they did to women in there and girls and stuff so you know this stuff was no secret is my point right but a lot of people don't have a big interest in looking any further and if people think like Ghislaine is going to flip on anybody now no she's not she's going to bide her time and hope that Trump comes back to power. He already said he would pardon her or be interested in pardoning her. So she's going to she's going to bet on that winning. And right. I don't think the SDNY is probably that interested in digging that deep into that stuff because it'll unravel more than Republicans. <laughs> you know, I promise you that. And it, well, sh- it should. Anybody involved should should be punished. Well, and 
Ghislaine Maxwell is going to be in prison for the same thing that Matt Gates is in trouble for, and he's still on committee. Like, we know how the system works, but how do you have all these wealthy men congregating in a place to raise money so that their problems go away? Like, how is that allowed? I understand that you can't have surveillance, you know, well, hey, I guess you can if you properly manage it. I just, how do these things even stay in motion? It just, it blows my mind. You yeah, know? Well, that's the criminal justice system. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're wealthy, you get you play by a different set of rules. That's the way it's always been. And yeah. people will defend that. They'll say a guy's got a right to like a defense. There's a defense. And then there's like Alan Dershowitz, you know, a guy who will launch a smear campaign against, you know, the victim, which is what he did for Klaus von Bülow. And is after he got convicted, there was an appeal, you know, and that's when Dershowitz got on board, you know, and disparaged Sonny, you know, the victim and talked about her drug use and all this stuff. There's just scumbags willing to do anything to help others walk free. And the BBC had Dershowitz on to comment on Maxwell's verdict. And they obviously got a lot of pushback and had to apologize. But what the hell were they doing anyway? Well, they were trying to cover it up for the prince, right? They were trying to keep the other stuff swept under the rug. And Dershowitz took his opportunity to disparage the victim and say that she should be prosecuted now. You know, the dude who sat there and got a handy, you know, and a massage from one of the underage victims, you know, who helped negotiate that original deal where Epstein got to spend leave prison for the day, go to his house in Palm Beach, his mansion, and molest other high school girls and then go check back into prison at night. That was part of the deal. A cop escorted him back to his Palm Beach mansion, sat outside in the driveway in his cop car while the dude would go in there and just Lane would bring him more unsuspecting poor girls, right? It was girls from like West Palm Beach across the bridge where the poor folks live. That's what they would pick on. That's what Trump would always pick on. They know who, who to look for. And when they got that deal, Epstein shipped an industrial 53-pound shredder and a tile remover to his private island, where he also had a dental chair and dental appliances and a replica of Donald Barr, Bill Barr's father's sex castle from his sci-fi novels built. Okay, mm-hmm. that is all 100% true, folks. <laughs> I know that sounds like I'm making that up, right? And then when the deal fell apart, he shipped the shredder, try to say that three times fast. He shipped the shredder up to townhouse, up to East 71st Street. So where is all this evidence? Barr didn't have the FBI raid his island until after Epstein was dead. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that makes any sense. Tell me how that you're really, you're interested in getting to the truth here when you don't even raid the guy's island until after he's dead, let alone what was in that townhouse in the safe and stuff. So my point is you'll never know the truth. They're hoping to wrap it up neatly with a bow with Maxwell's conviction and send her to prison and then everybody just kind of forget about it. That's what the powers that be are going to want in this case because hmm. it'll topple governments to find out the truth. And it's, it's like that old movie. You can't handle the truth. That's a big part of the United States now. <laughs> you know, People can't handle the truth. And a lot of people, even on the Democratic side of things, want to go back to business as normal. You know, I love Biden, but he's clearly like, can we just go back to the way it used to be? You know? <laughs> like, I don't want to have to make Merrick Garland like prosecute anybody. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to tell people like that they have to like get vaccinated to get on a plane. You know, and I love Biden. I'm not dissing on Biden. I'm just like, these are not normal times. It doesn't go back to normal after you have somebody like Trump. We've all experienced trauma. Okay. You know, I I don't think anybody probably had a normal holiday, right? I don't think anybody felt like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like in the holiday season. You know, I think it's pretty sad and painful. And I think this last instance, this flare up, you know, of this variant Omicron is just like is broken people in many ways, not broken, like you won't survive this, but just like, oh, my God, you Mm -hmm. know, again, we're in this position, you know, where I'm hiding in a hotel room eating and you can't eat in a restaurant. You know, I was up in Vermont, like nobody was wearing a mask in in the restaurant because they never had a big flare up up there. And this is a liberal place. It's not New Hampshire, you know, it's Vermont. But they weren't even wearing masks because they hadn't been through this before. Us folks in New York City, you know, who've been through the worst of it, 
it's triggering. It's like, oh my God, we're getting attacked again. You know, subways are getting canceled because they don't have enough staff to show up. You know, you're going to call 911 and nobody's going to come because everybody's going to be out sick. 20% of the NYPD is out sick who were never wearing masks. As I've said before, and they show at the height of it. I'm talking April 2020, March 2020, they weren't wearing masks. The guys on foot patrol, you know, so they were spreading it around, let alone like not preventing it. And now here we are again, going to be a lot of cancellations in the next month. It's going to be crazy when you send your kids back to school. I feel for these parents. I can't imagine what that feels like. Thinking you finally could go back to work and your kids could finally be back in school and you'd kind of get some normalcy, but you can't because nothing's normal now. And it's not gonna be normal again until you realize and admit that. Admit you have a problem and then you can do something about it. So that's sort of my rant. You know, We need more solution here and we need abject honesty in terms of what we're facing. We don't need to make people feel better. We need to make people feel like this is how you get secure and prevent this. This is how you become safe. Because it wasn't time to take off the masks in the summer, as Biden said it was okay to do, because the CDC said it's okay. And scientists were like, what do you mean? We never said that. This thing, you are not out of the woods with this thing yet. Like that was mind blowing to me. How does a year later after like, we had the horrific things we had. How are people thinking like, oh, it's over now. Time to go see Kenny Chesney at the freaking Margaritaville <laughs> concert. You know what I mean? You know, and, and you had whole states that never stopped. In Nashville, they never took it seriously. And, you know, in August, Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle are playing freaking arenas. In September, they're playing Florida and stuff. Indiana had to bring in the military to help our staff here at the downtown hospital. And as far as the football game that you mentioned this week, I, I had tickets to go. I was ready to go down to Lucas Oil Stadium, be part of the crowd, you know, but I'm not going to add to 70,000 people in an enclosed space, especially when I have to touch rails and every other surface just to get to my damn seat. You know, it's, it's not easy for a person with a disability to not touch something on the way to their destination to an event. So the concept of me going this week was not was not going to work. And I'm not going to go to any public event probably until the summer, until this thing calms down. Well, good for you, Jimmy. And yeah. like, I appreciate you sharing what you shared about the TSA and taking off the braces and stuff, because people don't get to hear that. And they need that perspective, you know, because this is America. This is for all people equality for all people your disabled brothers and sisters have just as much right to be out there enjoying life as you do right. you know and and they can't because so many of you are pretending like things are back to normal like and that's why it'll never be back to normal you know and man i feel for you just having to touch things you know i stopped taking the subway in new york city because i couldn't stand grabbing that pole anymore it's uh. why i ride a bicycle <laughs> You know, and I'm not even a germaphobe, dude. You know, I used to snort things off the back of toilet seats in public cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'd pick up a cigarette butt off the ground and smoke it back in the day if there was some good like tobacco left in that thing, you know? Well, it's not like people from Indiana are getting vaccinated either. There, there is a way to make this better. And they, they're choosing not to take it. Like I, I know nurses that are working at the IU hospital. They are overwhelmed right now. And there's a game happening at Lucas Oil right now. So it's going to be worse in the next two weeks. You know, yeah. like, no, I know. Well, that's my point. Everything's right. going to be worse because of these right. gatherings, because of flying home for Christmas. You know, and I watched the news last night and they're like, all these people are stranded in airports. No shit. <laughs> you shouldn't have gone there. You know, I saw a guy, God bless him, but they interviewed these people. They were down in Key West. The guy was like, I got to get back home to Indiana or wherever on Monday because I have a chemo thing scheduled. It's like, oh, what? You're in the middle of chemotherapy and you flew to the state with the biggest surge that's not mm -hmm. testing, you know, that has the most people with this. You flew there and now you're mad that your flight is canceled because all of the flight attendants got COVID or you hit mm -hmm. bad weather because of climate change. Like, what are you doing? You're in chemo. Stay home. Stay safe. You're <laughs> immunocompromised. You're the definition of it. And you just want to get in like some some rays. I understand the desire to go on a vacation or something, but now's not the time. But that's the mentality, you know, like this complete irresponsibility, civic irresponsibility. And that's what Trump handed people. Mm -hmm. He handed the ignorant, emboldened 
feelings of like, it's okay to fly around. No, it's not. They're not flying around with you. Tucker Carlson is not sitting on your Delta Airlines flight back to Taxahatchee or wherever the hell you're going. (laughs) Like they're on private jets, man. They're not, they're going right down to St. Bart's and right back to Teterboro and Jersey and right back to their, you know, gated communities or high rises on Fifth Avenue. They're not coming in contact with the the sick masses that they're profiting off of. Okay. But Hey, Netflix is good. You know, all this streaming TV, I watched a lot of it. I saw The Darkest Hour finally on Winston Churchill. And that's an incredible film if you haven't seen it, Gary Oldman. And it's it's great about like rhetoric, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, he was just obviously one of the great orators of, of humanity. And he had to get all these people on board that didn't want to stand mm-hmm. up to Hitler. People in England wanted to be like, well, let's just cut a deal with him. Mussolini said he'll broker the deal. Yeah, he's on France and he's killing our people in Calais and Calais, but let's make peace with this guy. And Churchill's like, you can't make peace with this guy. He just conquered Europe. You know, you make a deal with him, he's going to come slit our throats. And Churchill was right. He made his stand. But how he was able to convince people of that was through words, through using the English language to project truth to people and, and show them the reality of what they're facing if they don't do anything about this threat, you know? And it's the same way now with a threat to democracy, with a threat to our climate. Don't let anybody kick you off the goal. There is no compromising with global warming. There is no compromising with authoritarians like Trump backed by billions of dollars in Koch brother money. These guys are spineless and amoral. Rand Paul is not going to like do the right thing ever, you know? And if these guys get into power again, it's all over. I mean, Rand Paul's obviously still in the Senate, but I mean, Trump, you know, or, or Trump light or, you know, DeSantis terrifies me. That's why I tweet about him all the time because he's Trump with an Ivy league degree. I know Trump technically has an Ivy league degree, but let's be honest. Okay. (laughs) He transferred from Fordham you know, into Wharton and he pays somebody <laughs> else to take his test. So, and they can't read, but, um, but, you know, DeSantis is a little more disciplined. It has already showed his pure contempt for his populace, right? That's what angered me about the disappearance is he's like, you're beneath, I don't owe you anything. I'm not going to explain anything. I'll just show up at a, a wacky, like Christian fundamentalist church and you'll be back loving me. You know, and I'll wear two tight jeans and like a shitty fitting suit <laughs> like your hero and you're going to love me. And that's what happens. Right. Because because Trump already came along and divided people. And that's the gift he gave them is that they don't hear the truth anymore because they get to attack the other guy. And that feels good when you're frustrated and angry. Right. It feels good to have an enemy. A house divided will not stand. I'm paraphrasing Lincoln. Somebody probably said it before Abe, but. That's what that means, right? England wouldn't have been able to like stand up to Hitler if they were divided, right? Mm -hmm. They had to come together and see how you're all one people and you have to fight this threat. And we need to find a way to do that in this country, you know, and that's it. That's the order of of the day. That's the hour that is upon us. But that's about an hour of the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 44. Again, go back and listen to the one with Lee Sklar. If you haven't had a chance, I know it was the holidays and people are busy, but it was an honor to have Lee on. Uh, Lisa's memory will be a blessing. So thanks, you know, for putting that together. And thanks to all you guys who listened. Thanks to you guys who came out in Boston. It was great to see you, you know, big fans of the podcast come out. We had a good time at the show. They all say hi to Jimmy and, uh, you know, it was a good time and there's good times ahead. I'll keep you posted. I do have a show in New York at the end of January, but I'm going to update you on that figure that out this week and uh probably postpone it if it's possible and uh you know otherwise just you know do what you got to do but stay safe folks stay inside as much as you can i don't want to get this thing you know mm-hmm. so anybody's like oh it's nothing it's a sore throat nope nope don't want that in me and i don't know what the long-term effects are of this stuff because no one's even talking about the long covid mm. And I'm a hypochondriac anyway. So I get that <laughs> the rest of my life. I'm be like, that's the COVID again. That's that COVID giving me that headache. You know, yeah. I don't want COVID knee and COVID elbow and all these other things that I'm <laughs> going to think are a result of having this virus in my body. So if you can keep it out of your body, my, 
recommendation is to do so. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Episode 44. You can find me at noelcastler.com or on Twitter, and you can find Jimmy here. JBKonair.com, my website. Uh, and then check out the link uh, on my Twitter and Instagram, JBKonair. All the links there for you with my stuff. Jimmy's got the links for the ladies. <laughs> you know what to do, ladies. Link up with Jimmy. Jimmy's link up. Got, Jimmy's got his Jimi Hendrix t-shirt on today. Oh, yeah. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace, man. Jimmy was ahead of his time. And my dad went to see Hendrix. He saw Hendrix in concert. So Chooch has always got me beat there as far as the cool factor, getting to see Jimmy. (laughs) My My dad saw Jimmy, too, and named me after Jimi Hendrix's bass player who lived in the town in Ireland that my grandparents moved to after they got in a fight with Henry Kitzer <laughs> over the bombing of Cambodia, the castle oh, wow. and Clonakilty. And I got to go to his bar when he was still alive, Noel Redding. And he had a band called the Clonakilty Cowboys. And he would play in this little pub that he owned in, in Cork in Ireland, Western Ireland, Republic of Ireland. And uh, I was named after Noel Redding. If that gives you any idea what my childhood was like. <laughs> So, you know, Hendrix was a hero and I got to work, you know, obviously with Stephen Stills, who was practically best friends with Jimi Hendrix and played with him a ton and played bass with him for a while when Noel left. And uh, I was walking, I was in Red Rocks, you know, and, and Red Rocks is this great amphitheater in Colorado, which we've been talking about this week. And it's carved out of the side of a mountain. It's just an incredible, legendary place to play. And there's a tunnel that goes to the front of house, which is where you mix a show, you know, where you have the big mixer from Mm -hmm. backstage. It's this tunnel and you walk up the the steps. It's like stone tunnel and everybody signed the walls, you know, who's played there forever. And I'm walking up those steps with Stephen Stills and he's like, oh, I played here with Hendrix. I think in 71, I was playing bass for him or 70 or something. I think Hendrix died, but um, it was like, I was like, what? You did that gig too? Like I knew about his friendship with 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 Amy Hendrix, but I was like, oh, I didn't know you played bass with him at Red Rocks. <laughs> like to yeah. talk about it. But they Steven would always tell me about these late night jam sessions they would have at a recording studio in New York and still has some of his amps and everything. And you know, obviously I spent a lot of my childhood in Woodstock where where Jimmy moved and I right. got to meet Albert Grossman, you know, who was sort of the head of that whole scene, you know, Janis Joplin's manager and Dylan's manager and worked yeah. with Jimmy. And, uh, and I lived in, in, you know, I lived down the street from electric lady studios, like <laughs> Ladyland studios, which is on eighth street in Manhattan. So everybody loves Jimmy. I'll tell another story and I'll shut up. Jimmy's, uh, we were, nah, I'll tell this, uh, I guess I'll tell it. So I was in, uh, Paris with Steven Stills and we just went to, uh, a Brioni outlet to buy a bunch of clothes and stuff. And Steven was really happy. And we're in a cab going back to the hotel after. And he looks at me and he goes, man, I still got some of Jimi Hendrix's pants. They'd probably hit you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> are you going to give them to me? Like what, what weird thing is that? Like, it's funny, you know? So that was my opportunity to get some of Jimi Hendrix's pants, but I think they're better, better off. And passed still. on it that time. Yeah. <laughs> Even barn, you know, keep those pants. I'll take the Marshall head though, that you had hot wired because he told me that story once too. You know, Jimmy oh. was ahead of his time. Technology was crap back then. You didn't even really have PAs yet. So like, you know, Jimmy would hot wire these Marshall lamps, which were already monsters and they would take them to this place to even, you know, up the voltage and just assault your ears with that delicious sound. So, uh, that's it. Listen to some Jimmy Hendrix, man. Axis bold as love, baby. That's my, that's my Hendrix record. But uh, anyway, have a good week, guys. I'm starting to ramble now. It's first week back. It's gloomy weather. It's gray. It's going to be a triggering news week probably with all this you know, January 6th stuff. So take care of each other. Take time to go for a walk. Take time to, to say hi and be kind to others because that's what it's about. We're going to turn this thing around in 2022, I promise. So thanks for listening. Got another year ahead of podcast. But right now, this has been episode 44. Take care of each other. Peace.